what I like? And this doesn't have anything to do with fantasy or even necessarily basketball. But you know what I like as a broadcaster or sort of like, I don't know what you'd call me, recovering broadcaster? (laughs) I still do some baseball. You guys know that about me. I still do some basketball, too. Get out there, do a little play-by-play, keep the... uh, keep the muscles loose or muscle memory or whatever the hell it is. I like when the big stations get the right guys. And it's been like, I mean, it's been a long time now, but Mike Breen is so good at what he does. He's so good. Anyway, uh, another fun finals game yesterday was close throughout. Everybody, I saw Twitter was complaining about how it wasn't a competitive ball game. It, it, it was totally competitive. Warriors were up big early. Boston came all the way back to take the lead in the third quarter. If you have a third quarter lead change, it means it's a relatively good ball game. And then the Celtics just proceeded to turn it over relentlessly in the fourth. And that allowed Warriors to win another game that, I mean, honestly, like, I didn't think Golden State played all that well. Andrew Wiggins was incredible. Andrew Wiggins, you heard that right. He was unbelievably good. Second game in a row, he's been outstanding for Golden State. His defense on Jason Tatum was solid. Tatum had a better ball game, but forced the turnovers and all that stuff. And then 26 and 13 rebounds. He's the Warriors rebounding specialist these days. That's crazy. Boggles the mind. But Warriors up three games to two now. Um, Hey, we got our lean on the total right yesterday. I told you I had no idea what was going to go on with the side. But I thought, look, I think Boston's going to focus on rebounding. I think they're going to focus on keeping the ballgame slow in Golden State. And they did that. The other option was, do they try to run? And Boston has shown they don't really want to run that much. They don't. They don't want to get in that kind of ball game. You get into an up-tempo game, Warriors start bombing in threes. You kind of unlock a lot of stuff for Golden State. And so the Celtics went the other direction. I think from that standpoint, Boston liked what happened yesterday. What they didn't like was 18 turnovers, missing a ton of free throws, and then just generally not shooting the ball all that well. But I actually don't think the, the Celtics are all that upset about the bad shooting. I think they know in a long series, particularly the finals, everybody's gassed. Shooting isn't going to be that good in most of these games. But you got to make the free throws, and you cannot lose the turnover battle by 12 and expect to win a ballgame. So, Warriors, on the brink of a championship. Next game is on Thursday. We'll break that one down when we get there. I can't believe we've called all five totals right in the finals so far. That's pretty cool. <laughs> I don't know what the hell is going to happen in game six. So let's think on it. We'll think on it before Thursday's show. As far as today goes, we're right back into the team breakdowns. Hi, by the way, this is Fantasy NBA Today, Sports Ethos presentation. I am Dan Bespris at D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S on Twitter. Again, monster thank you to those of you guys that continue to listen to the pod throughout the offseason. Thank you to those that have checked out our baseball and our football coverage so far. They are coming. It is critical and uh, I appreciate you guys doing that, so uh, please stick with us. Um, had some slight technical difficulties, so today's show is actually going to be a tiny bit shorter than intended. We had a choice between the Denver Nuggets and the Toronto Raptors, and because this show does need to be a little bit shorter, I recorded half of it, and then I looked back and realized that my recording software had stopped 
uh, right after we talked about the, our baseball and our football coverage that very upsetting. And I'm in a wild sprint these days because kids are in summer camp and, and schedules are even more goofed than usual. But the Nuggets are actually a really easy team to break down. Really easy. Because the Nuggets had one player inside the top 100 on a per-game basis this year. One. And he was ranked number one. Nikola Jokic, two-time MVP, two-time fantasy MVP, who was single-handedly so impactful this season that as the number one player, he's so far out in front of everybody else, that this year, he, as the number one player, was basically like the number two player and a second rounder. And sometimes we talk about how, oh, like, you know, a first rounder is generally worth like a second rounder and a third rounder together because of how hard it is to, to clear that last hurdle. Nikola Jokic was worth a first rounder, not any, the next player behind him, and the gap was a second rounder. And even if you say the replacement player, meaning, you know, if you did Jokic in a one-for-two trade, basically, right now, if you took a replacement player as a zero-impact fantasy guy, that's basically number 80. 80 was a, a zero-impact fantasy play. That was kind of the mid-road of uh, fantasy value. Then Jokic was worth Joel Embiid and, uh, like, Devin Booker together, which is crazy. Booker was number 17 by totals this year. He was worth Joel Embiid and Nikola Vucevic together. And even if you say the replacement level player was weaker and say, oh, well, it's more like top 100 when you're streaming or something like that, you're still talking about Joel Embiid, the number two guy, and Donovan Mitchell, you know, number 26, or Luka Doncic, 28. But this is by totals again. Because Jokic not only was number one on a per-game basis, but he also was unbelievably durable again. You want to get even weirder? Carl Anthony Towns and Nikola Jokic played the same number of games this year. Kat and Jokic both at 74 during the regular season. Uh, Towns, the number three player in fantasy, was separated by, from Nikola Jokic by Steph Curry. Steph and Kat together were Jokic. Or, if you want to get crazy and, again, you know, diminish the value of the replacement player, then it's Kat and Devin Booker, who we just talked about as the guy with Joel Embiid. So, like, this is why teams need to, or leagues need to start changing the way drafts go, because that's how unbelievable Nikola Jokic has been. That said, I do think he takes a very small step back next year by necessity. By necessity. He can't go at this clip forever, or he's going to burn out. And I know he's young, and I know he doesn't jump, so that actually makes him a more durable player, and he has that sort of, like, uh, rugby thickness to him, where you can clock him in the arm and it turns pink, but then he's fine. Well, you guys all know what I'm talking about. He's just, like, a little bit thick, but it actually helps him kind of... I think it absorbs a certain amount of the dings and bruises that other guys, where it's, like, straight to muscle and bone, it doesn't work quite the same way. But that's not even the point. Let's say he does stay healthy again, this coming year, 
he could very easily still be the number one overall fantasy player this coming season. I just don't think the gap is going to be quite as significant. Because, like, even if you look at a per-game basis, Kevin Durant was actually the number two player in fantasy per game this year, and the difference between KD and Jokic was still, uh, like, Demonis Sabonis, an early fourth, late third. So, again, it's not as wide as the durability gap, but it's still a pretty big deal. You're getting then the number two player per game plus a late third, early fourth to make up the difference between two players. Again, this isn't like Jokic and a late first rounder. This is Jokic and the guy right behind him. But here's the thing. And we all know Nikola Jokic is incredible. None of that's changing anytime soon. But if you go back a couple of seasons to when there were other humans that were good at basketball on Denver... Jokic, like, let's say the the COVID season with the stop and start and the bubble and all that stuff, um, and Jamal Murray got hurt. He got hurt. No, that was the following year, in the middle of the season he got hurt. But Jamal Murray was there, and MPJ was just sort of settling into a role, so that one wasn't really a factor at that point. Uh, But Jokic was number 10 per game that year. 19, 10, and 7. His numbers were still outstanding, but he wasn't the Jokic we had this, this last year and a half, basically, where you know Jamal Murray was out and then MPJ was out. Jokic this season, 27-14-8, defensive stats. I mean, 58% shooting, 81 at the free throw line. Go back two years, and admittedly, Jokic is better now than he was then. He is. Um... And so you'll probably get the field goal percent that's more like 57-58 instead of 53, which it was a couple seasons back. And you'll get the free throw number that's probably more like 85-88 to instead of 82. Are the steals and blocks going to stay as high as they've been? I don't know. I mean, I don't think he wants to have to do that much defensively. Uh, Rebounds? Sure, why not? Ten and a half, perfectly reasonable. But you know what is coming down? Scoring. He's not going to need to take 18 shots a game when he has Jamal Murray around and maybe even Michael Porter Jr. It's just as great as he is, the Nuggets will be better over the long haul if he doesn't have to do everything. It's as simple as that. It's what we just talked about with Chicago Bulls. Zach Levine... The Bulls got better when he didn't have to do everything. Now, with the Bulls, DeMar DeRozan came in and had a career year. I just, like, where can Nikola Jokic even go from this last season? He can't. He's maxed out, people. He had no trustworthy teammates this season. And so, not only was he fantasy great, he got them to 48 wins almost by himself. Sorry, the rest of the Nuggets. It's true. So let's say Jamal Murray comes back. He's not going to play in back-to-back. So you're looking, with Murray, you're looking at, you know, look, here's the thing. Jokic is still your number one overall pick. I just don't think it's going to be quite as sizable a gap. What we should be concerned about is what's the deal with the other Nuggets? Is Jamal Murray going to be playoff Jamal Murray during an entire regular season? Probably not. You know? Probably not. And we saw that even uh, coming back the following year after playoff Jamal Murray. He was better, but he wasn't 
insano Jamal. And MPJ that year was actually ranked higher than Murray. Now, admittedly, he got to do more after Jamal went down, but those two guys, Murray played 48 games before he went down. Michael Porter Jr. played 61. Jokic played all 72 that season. This is last year, not this most recent one. Uh, Jokic was already showing signs of becoming this this current iteration of himself. But again, like they don't need or want him doing that much for an entire regular season just for his own well-being. 82-game season coming up. Jamal Murray, best-case scenario, is probably about 68, 69 games. Best-case scenario. So he's a tough player to draft because he was a third-rounder before he got hurt two seasons ago. He was shooting really well, 48% from the field, 87 at the free-throw line. His steals were up to 1.3. Uh, he, you know, Everything was coming up Jamal. I don't think that he comes back with quite that same ferocity, and then it's going gonna, it's gonna to take a long time for him to get his legs underneath him because he hasn't played in a while. Where do I think he gets drafted? I don't know. I really don't know. He's likely to be healthy to start the year. MPJ will likely be healthy to start the year. But neither one of them is going to get pushed that hard. And so maybe you get you know Jokic coming out of the gate crazy iteration of Nikola. But I, I do think that that's going to scale back ever so slightly. So yes, of course, Jokic number one overall. Uh, it's probably not going to be a situation where having Nikola Jokic by himself is going to win you your league solo. There's probably going to need to be something else on your team this coming year. Uh, what's nice about Denver is that with Porter Jr. and Murray probably playing in some capacity this coming season, you just don't even have to think about anyone else. This season, it was should I or should not? Should I you know, pick up Monte Morris for two weeks here? Should I pick up Aaron Gordon for two weeks here? Should I see if Will Barton can get it back together after a hot start? Nah, no. You don't even worry about it. If they have one good game, you know... Best case scenario, one of those guys might put two, three good games in a row together, and then they're due for a longer stretch of not good games. What I don't know for sure is what do the Nuggets look like if all three of their main offensive guys are actually healthy and clicking? Because we really haven't seen that. MPJ was coming along. He looked good. It was getting there. But it wasn't full trust yet from Michael Malone before Murray got hurt in whatever it was, March. Was it March of 20? No. Yeah, March of 2021, I think, is when Murray got hurt. Maybe February. And then Porter was forced into doing a bit more. That moved him up the ranks a little bit. When all of them are together, Jokic still probably going to be a number one player in fantasy, as we already said. Jamal Murray, again, was in the 30s prior to his injury but probably doesn't get all the way back to that on a per-game basis, certainly not by totals, because, again, they're going to be gentle with it. MPJ, same general story. These are going to be two guys, as I look at them right now, that I'm going to be tempted by, because you know we have this rule, we don't draft injured players, but neither one of these guys is going to be injured to start the year. They're, all, they're both just going to be kind of games played capped, by the fact that they were injured. I'm more likely to draft Jamal Murray than Michael Porter Jr. I'll tell you that right now, because this back stuff I don't trust. And frankly, I don't think that MPJ K 
can hit three three-pointers a game and still shoot 54% from the field. I think that some of that was a bit fluky. Uh, you know, he's not going to be what he was this most recent season where he couldn't hit anything, and then it was revealed that his back was all screwball. Uh, you know, he was shooting 36% prior to getting hurt. 48, maybe. 49, maybe he even gets to 50, but 54 seems a bit above expectation. And with Jamal Murray, maybe you're looking at more like 45, 46 instead of 47 or 48. But both of these guys coming back from big injury, that's going to impact field goal percent. It really will. Efficiency is going to be a thing. I think you probably see Jamal Murray more towards 50 than 30 this year. I don't know where the hell you go, Michael Porter Jr., because I ain't drafting him pretty much any place. I don't trust the back stuff. I don't know that he's ever going to be fully right. He may very well come on and have a big season, um, but I'm not going to feel bad about missing out on it unless he starts slipping to like 70, 80, 90 range, but I just don't see that happening. People are going to be too enamored with his scoring, and if people see him look good during training camp, that's all it'll take. At least with Jamal Murray, like there's a certain window that I think you can fairly well assume he stays above, but that's so risky on both of those guys. You know, these are players you look at more like keeper leagues last year. You squatted on them, and now maybe you get them at a a better price than if you had to draft them. But, like, what if Jamal Murray was going in the fourth? Would you do it? I would not. What if he was going at, like, pick 44? Yeah, maybe he exceeds that per game basis. But when you know by totals a best-case scenario is him getting to league average number of games, that means you need to get him probably one to two rounds at least back of his per-game production for it to be worth it. Because he's going to hold you back on the total side. And then with MPJ, I I really don't know. Is he going to be number 30? Is he going to be number 80? At some point, his role is going to come back, but what's his field goal percent look like? What's the health situation? He's another guy that's probably not exceeding 68 games this coming year. Too dangerous mostly. That's my thought on the Denver Nuggets. From a contractual standpoint, like, we don't even really have to worry about it. They traded Jamichael Green away, so that's no longer on the books. But, you know, the big names are still there. Jokic is making 33 mil. Contract season, I'm sure he'll take an extension because, you know, that's the spot there. Jamal Murray, three more years. Aaron Gordon, three or four. Will Barton, contract year. Maybe they can move him for something, but I doubt it. Monte Morris, two seasons. MPJ, four seasons. His extension kicks in. All the big money guys are on the books already. So the Nuggets, are, you know, none of this money's going anywhere. And once they sign Jokic to an extension, this is just the core. So here's your thing. Here's your choice. On Fantasy Draft Day, and in head-to-head leagues, I don't think you can draft any of those guys because you know they're not playing games and you need guys on the floor to win your head-to-head league. Even if you think Jamal Murray ramps up towards the end of the season, if the Nuggets are even close to locked into a playoff spot, they'll rest him in even more than back-to-backs down the stretch. The only way you see Nuggets playing every game down the stretch is if they're at risk of falling into the play-in tournament. Uh, But with Jamal Murray back, and let's assume MPJ mostly around, the Nuggets are probably a two-seed, two-to-four range in the Western Conference. I would have them at least four to six wins higher with two 
really good offensive players alongside Jokic. If he can get him to 48 by himself, there's no reason why having those guys around wouldn't bump the Nuggets up to 52. And that's enough to get him into the fourth seed anyway. So I don't think the Nuggets are at risk of falling into the play-in. I think they're, they are a risk, not for shutdowns, but for rest days down the stretch, which makes them a non-factor in head-to-head leagues. In games cap roto, some of you guys are going to end up with them. I just know it. But right now, I will tell you on this podcast, and I don't see anything changing between now and, 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 and fantasy draft night, I would not draft Jamal Murray before 60. and eh, maybe 56 at the absolute earliest, but probably not. And MPJ, I don't think I'm drafting at all. I almost don't think there's a scenario where he falls far enough. It would have to be probably 85 or later. So not in my first seven rounds of picks. Eighth round and beyond, I would consider it. Probably would almost do it immediately if he was still there at 85, but he won't be. Because we've seen this enough times to know. Jamal Murray is probably going to go in the 40s and 50s, and MPJ is probably going to go in the 50s and 60s, which probably a little bit too rich for my blood. When you can take other guys there, I mean, think of the guys that go in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. ADPs this last year, guys that went in the 40s that ended up with, that are just like safe. Drew Holiday was in the 40s. Anthony Edwards was in the 40s. He won't be again this coming season. You want to go unsafe? Kristaps Porzingis was in the late 40s. At least you know when he's healthy, he's a second rounder with first round upside. It's not that way with Jamal Murray. And those guys probably played pretty close to the same number of games this year. JJJ, OG Ananobi, CJ McCollum, all these guys went near 50. DeJounte Murray went near 50 this year. DeMar DeRozan, Jonas Valanciunas, Tyrese Halliburton. Why are you going to take a guy who might get to 67 ball games played and might have a per game ranking in like the 35 to 45 range, a best case scenario, when you got these types of things that you can play with? These toys are amazing. But, of course, once you get past 60-65, things get way, way less safe. The Gordon Haywards of the world. Sure, why not? Take a shot on Jamal Murray. Maybe he goes at 63, and maybe he posts 42 per-game basis and misses some games, but whatever. I got two rounds of per-game value there. That's where those numbers creep in. That's how that ends up making, at least in my head, a little bit of sense. And that is how we end a shorter-than-average episode today. Sorry about that, everybody. I probably would have just talked about Nikola Jokic longer anyway, which you didn't really need. Ah, you know, whatever. <laughs> Do like seven, eight, ten more minutes on Nikola Jokic on another podcast. We'll b- call it a break-even scenario. I'm Dan Vespers for our... Sp- uh, what the hell is this show? Fantasy NBA Today. Uh, it's like I, I don't talk to other adults. Not like I can think of something else going on. At Dan Vespers on Twitter, at EthosFantasyBK. Please do check out our baseball and football stuff. I'm forever grateful. Talk to you guys tomorrow. Tomorrow.